applause. Um, as the children go to the back, uh, before we kind of go through the rest of our morning, I have two things to do, two official hats. The first one is on this, well, on. <laughs> yeah, I said 7 a.m. this morning. I was like so conscious of that. All right, this Wednesday is our Ash Wednesday service. Um, we haven't said much from the pulpit. It's been in the bulletin. There's more information there. Ash Wednesday is an opportunity for us as HBIC to join with the Worldwide Church to usher in the season of Lent. Lent is a time of reflection. You know, before we get to celebration of Easter, we got to go through the season of Lent. So it's 40 days of prayer, of reflection. And Ash Wednesday is this reminder where we come together and just reflect on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So uh, we don't have children and youth programming. And I think most of our adult classics, except ESL, um, are canceled that night. So we encourage you to come. Uh, child care is provided up to fifth grade, I believe. Um, oh, no, two to five, actually, just two to five. Um, and then... Um, in here in the sanctuary is where we have our Ash Wednesday service. So it's at 7 p.m., so hopefully you can join us on Wednesday. Um, the second one is for most of you, I think, maybe have heard by now, um, but this is also a good opportunity to remember to join our church mailing list if you're not on our church mailing list. But um, this week I sent out an email to kind of tell the congregation um, our wonderful church administrator, Sheila Durr, um, is ending her time with us uh, in a couple weeks. So the email said, you know, she's resigning, but also, I wanted to tell you guys, so make sure you hear it, because not everyone maybe checks their email. Um, and if you don't check your email, you're not on our mailing list, please join now. Um, but also, I wanted to give the church a couple of weeks just to express appreciation and thanks to Sheila and her family. Um, if you would like to give cards, we'd love to collect them. Um, if you also like to bless the family with a gift, I forgot to say that at the first service, so like, please, y'all got to cover for the first service. I'm just kidding. Um, but if you'd like to bless the family with a gift, too, um, feel free to write out um, a gift to the church, and we'll make sure we give that to Sheila. So just want to say, just maybe even take time now to just get, express uh, uh, thanks to Sheila. So yeah, you can do that. All right, so I'm going to jump in kind of, so this morning's going to look a little bit different. Instead of preaching a, a whole sermon, I'm going to talk for about seven to ten minutes, uh, kind of give a, a, a sermon that um, looking at, I know I say this all the time, but literally one of my favorite passages in all scripture. Um, and, and what we're going to do is in looking at this, we're going to kind of talk about this mosaic that we have at HBIC and who God's called us to be. Um, but, but then the second half, and probably the, the lion's share of our time is, we have mics set up here in the front, and we want you to invite you, I'm um, telling you now so you can start thinking about it, but we want to invite you to just come up and share a little bit, uh, what does being part of a multicultural or this multicultural, multi-ethnic church mean to you? All right, so that's the question we're kind of going to be wrestling, or not even wrestling, but thinking on. We'll give you an opportunity to share. What does it mean to be part of this community? We have uh, several people who we've kind of get us started. Um, one of the things I told the first service is, you know, we just want to get a little snippet, you know. I'm sure you have wonderful long stories. That's why we have tonight. You know, if you have a 15-minute story, come tonight. I'd love to hear it, you know. We're going to have lots of food, and all we're doing is eating and hanging out, you know. Um, James shared in his prayer, I think sometimes we under, like, we, we, we don't think that's enough, and we forget that there's people in this room who couldn't eat with people who look different than them. You know, so I think we sometimes, like, don't think that's a big enough deal. 
but we have people in this room who cannot eat together, sit together, and that's not that long ago. You know, that's literally 40, 50, 60 years ago that we couldn't even eat together. And I love James's line that it's an act of defiance, but it's also an act of delicious food. So hopefully you plan to join us tonight, and that's where you can tell your long stories. But what we're looking for here is just a little snippet, you know, one little thing. Give yourself, if you think it's a minute, give yourself 15 seconds and then fall in between, you know? We want to hear from as many different people as possible. So that's kind of where we're going. But before we get there, I'm going to pray and we're going to talk about this mosaic that God's created um, through the lens of Revelation 5. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for how much you love us. We thank you so much for your artist, God, and the creativity and the beauty of your creation. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, which binds us together as one. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up his body and, his, and freely let his blood be poured and, and was scarred, man-made scars, so that we can come home again. And Father, we thank you that you're the father of all nations. You're the father of every tribe. You're the father of every tongue. You're the father who calls all your children back home again. So God, we pray that we can not just be a reflection, but that we can really be on earth as it is in heaven through the power of your Holy Spirit with our eyes fixed on Jesus and you with your arms wrapped around all of us. In your holy and precious name, amen. Have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. I'll be reading the entire chapter. Um, always invite you to, you know, um, if you'd like, you can read it in your Bible or you can follow uh, up front. But one thing I think is also good is, you know, we're going to be talking about what this picture represents. So for me, I know what helps me is closing my eyes. So I'd like to invite you to do that too and just picture yourself in heaven as this is unfolding. Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wealth and power and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. For those of us who grew up in church, the book of Revelation is, is, is kind of scary. The book of Revelation is one of those ones we stumble into and like, I think I'm good. You know, I'll come back to this some other time. 
The book of Revelation, though, for us is we have to be reminded that Revelation is a vision that's given to John. John was Jesus' best friend, the one who knew him the most. John was also an apostle and one of the first church leaders. But you also have to understand the genre of Revelation. Revelation is apocalyptic. And a lot of us, we hear that and it's scary and it's end of the world. But what I want you to hold on to when you think of the genre of Revelation, just remember that this is Old Testament prophecy told through the lens of first century symbols. Now, for some of us, we're like, what does that mean? Now, imagine if you went to another country and you explained to someone that after you went to the city of brotherly love and saw the Liberty Bell, you took a trip to Washington, D.C. to see the White House. And after you saw the White House, outside the White House was the Stars and Stripes and a bald eagle was flying over the Stars and Stripes and you just love your Uncle Sam. They might look at you like, what are you talking about? But we as Americans can generally understand all of that. And I say all that to say when you read Revelation, it's less about predicting the future and more about the images of what John is trying to describe the indescribable. He's in heaven and he sees heaven and he's trying his best to give us what that's like. But I think the other thing I really love about Revelation is that it's really alternating scenes between heaven and earth. We've loved and we've started to to take as the culture and the language of this church to say on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation invites us and reminds us that it's not just on earth as it is in heaven, but that heaven and earth meet. That heaven and earth touch. That heaven always comes down. And you know what I love about Revelation is there's so many lessons we can hold on to in Revelation. One of the first ones is that We can persevere over darkness, that we win in the end, that there's no darkness that will not be conquered by our God, that we will overcome, that we are called to be witnesses, yes, but we are called to give our lives to God like Jesus gave his life for us, that Christ is the only one who's worthy of all our worship, that victory has already been accomplished and victory is in Christ and by Christ alone. And that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all people belong to God and will worship to God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the vision. That's the picture we get in Revelation. You know, around here we say our mission and our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. What I love most about our vision is it's not our own. What I love most about our vision is Isaiah gets a hint of it when he talks about all the nations of the world streaming to the mountain of the Lord. What I love about our vision is that John also gets a bigger picture of it, and he paints just a little bit of it here in Revelation 5. Our vision is to inspire our mission. Our vision is to inspire our work. In this scene, John is is, is in heaven, and and there's a scroll of God's complete plan for redemption and, and to redeem the world. And an angel cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll? And it's no one. No one is worthy to open the scroll. Or at least that's what John thought. And it causes him to weep. And it's not just the the, the kind weeping that you might do in church sometimes when the spirit hits you and a tear trickles. It's an ugly cry. Whatever your ugly face looks like, that's why I want you to picture John doing because he realizes God has a plan for redemption and no one's worthy to take this plan. And then an elder walks to him and says, no, John, there is one. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the root of David. It's Jesus who you know. He's worthy. 
And then Jesus comes onto the scene. The slain lamb is now at the throne. And in one of the most beautiful scenes we'll ever witness, and one we get to hold on to forever, those of us who know Jesus and have chosen to give our lives to Jesus and are living for Jesus, we get to see the scene where all of heaven and all the creatures on earth They bow down, they prostrate, they bring their prayers, they bring their music, and all of heaven's saints, they bow down and they worship Jesus. Jesus is worthy because he's ransomed us home. Jesus is worthy because his blood has purchased every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And we, in faith in Christ, get to be a kingdom of priests to reign with him forever. And all of the creation, all that's ever been, all that is, all of the cosmos affirms God's victory that redemption in Christ is possible for worthy is the lamb who was slain. I love this scene because it's a beautiful reminder to us. There's so many of us who are so occupied with earth, we forget about heaven. There's so many of us who are so pressed down by the darkness, we forget our Jesus is the light. There's so many of us who forget that this is our call, this is our work on earth as it is in heaven. I love this scene because it's a reminder to me that this world I see is not all there is. That this world I live in is not all there is. That the suffering I see does not have the last word. That the darkness that so easily ensnares us does not have the power. It's a reminder that heaven always comes to earth. That heaven always comes to earth. And it's a reminder that we got work to do. Because it's not about pining for heaven to come. Heaven always comes down. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus is making heaven perfect for us. But all he's left behind is the Holy Spirit and you, his church. That's it. If we want to make on earth as it is in heaven possible, it is our work. And that's what I love maybe the most about this church. Because what we're trying to do here is not simply an act of defiance. We live in a country that specializes and majors in keeping us separated. We live in a country that for hundreds of years, Christ dying on the cross didn't matter than the blood that flowed in our veins. We live in a country where we had made it okay to submit to the Constitution but not to the scripture that's greater than any constitution. We live in a country where saying every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all people belong to God. All of us belong to each other is an act of defiance, yes, but it's an act of faithfulness. And that's all we're trying to be. When people say, you know, I love this vision of yours. Where'd you get it? It sounds like something new. I say, it's very new. It starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. We are called to be on earth as it is in heaven. This morning, we're celebrating that God is taking us from all parts of the world to remind us that we're not just Liberian or Colombian We're not just descendants from Europe or Africa. 
that our true citizenship is in heaven, that our true family is everyone that Jesus died for, and that being the body of Christ is not just something we know, it's something we commit to. That it's not just enough for you to say, I'm in God's family, or we're in God's family. Being the body of Christ means we are family, and we are one. Our vision is God's vision. Revelation 5 is not just our dream, it's our work. It's our work. And that's who we're called to be. I said we're going to have a time of congregational sharing. And the question we want to answer is, what does being part of this multicultural, multi-ethnic church mean to you? I tell you, what it means to me is simply this. We're just trying to be faithful to the vision of God's kingdom. We're trying to be kingdom people first. We're trying to be like our Jesus. We're living and loving like Christ. Because that is our call and that is our work. To get us started, we asked um, a couple people to share. Um, the order I think will go is Rashida, Amy, Jen, and then Miss Geraldine. And then we're going to open it up. Anyone who wants to come up, feel free to share. But I figure we'll get the ball rolling, they'll get us started. But again, the question we're simply trying to answer is what does it mean being here together? All right, let's share. Good morning. Um, I just want to thank Harrisburg Brethren in Christ for giving me an opportunity to share my spoken word poetry and to um, embody what it is to basically embrace the calling to Jesus. I did not have formal training in poetry. I went to high school like a lot of people. I went to elementary school like a lot of people. I went to middle school. But someone said um, a few weeks ago, they're like, you know, where did you go to get your formal training? And I never really thought about someone asking me that kind of question. But I had to give God the glory and the praise for that. He gave me all the tools, all the words, ad-libs, whatever I needed to put all this together and to share it so that you all can understand it in a way that a lot of people aren't able to articulate to you. So I've taken so many racial reconciliation classes here, and I love it. You know, I, I was almost getting tired of it. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That means you have so many. And um, I just wanted to share a poem that came from one of those classes that um, I think would give us a little insight on how we can combat this monster that we call racism. This is called Forgiveness of Race. Flowers are beautiful, and their unique colors identify them. Have grace for the blind. Opening hearts and opening minds to invite love, peace, and respect. Ripen the rotting roots of history, not to freshen, but to bring new hope and good fruit. Grudges only hinder healing by blocking forgiveness in the heart. Intentions of the devil are as clear as the separation of the people. I pray our eyes are open wide. 
vow to imagine equality, the basic beauty in everyone. Encourage one another to look beyond color, displaying soul. Now is the season for a remedy and rectification. Evening playing fields, standing together, holding strong against the race tide. Surrendering self while risking the hearts of delayed-minded kin. Speak with love and compassion to deafen the sound of race. Opting to change one's self or boundaries sparks forgiveness. For he gave his son who forgave us, giving us the power to forgive. Remember the dreams of our peacekeepers. Help them to come true. Anchor any negative thoughts about another's natural being, assisting in keeping their integrity afloat. Continue to pray for yourself and others, for together we can win our race for forgiveness. Everyone deserves forgiveness from the notion of race. Good morning, church. My name is Amy Nichols, um, and before we get started, I think I just wanted to say that conversations like this, I'm so grateful that we embrace them at HVIC, um, and so for those of us who are white in the room, I think I would want to challenge us to take a posture of listening, um, to take a posture of learning, um, and for those brothers and sisters of color in the room, um, thank you for your presence and your partnership. Um, and I hope that we can embrace the uncomfortability that comes with these conversations in a way that's meaningful and productive. So I'm in, just going to share a very quick story um, with you all. So almost five years ago, in April of 2015, I was out pursuing my master's degree um, at Taylor University in Indiana. Taylor is a very, very white institution, um, but it taught me a lot about race and equity. It showed me a lot about my own sinful nature. It showed me a lot about the whiteness that was so present and deep-rooted within me. Because of these things and because of my conviction and realizing this, I started attending an African Methodist Episcopal church. Um, I started discussing race and justice with my friends on a daily basis. And I was realizing in the midst of this how incomplete my white Christianity truly was. So one, um, in April of 2015, Dr. Drew Hart came to Taylor for an event to speak. Um, and this was a week after I had accepted a job at Messiah College as a resident instructor. I asked Drew for a church recommendation, knowing that he was an alum of the college. And without hesitation, he said, Harrisburg Brethren in Christ on Derry Street. So I wrote it in my phone, and I kept it there, kept the address. And as soon as I arrived here in August 2015, I came here and I have never left. Um, so I, I come to HVIC because it does not feel like the capital C church by which so many of my fellow generation friends um, are disillusioned by. I believe HVIC is a place where you truly come as you are. Um, it's a place where you can recognize the Lord's infinite love for all people. There is a fullness here that I believe represents the body of Christ in the most beautiful array of colors, races, ethnicities, and languages. I believe that identity is a huge part of who we are um, as individuals and community, 
And I believe that we all must understand our own identity and journey along in this. Um, our identity needs to be firmly rooted in Christ, and that is first and foremost what we need to pursue. Um, yet also we need to know how our identity plays out here on earth. Um, so going along with this, I once lived in Tijuana, Mexico, right on the border. Um, and I definitely thought about my identity. You better believe I did not see any other redheads down there. Um, and <laughs> it made me think a lot. It brought a lot of questions about um, my own privilege, about the concept of service, about immigration, about savior complexes, and about this idea of a quote-unquote white Jesus. It was a huge moment in my journey of identity, and I still have a lot of endless questions about that experience and my connections there. So HBIC allows me to ask those questions, to boldly approach God with the uncertainty and confusion that comes with conversations on race. Yet, however, it leaves me with the conviction to look to the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It may sound cliche, but the sermons, the programs, the events, the conversations here, they truly direct me back to what would Jesus do. And I look around this congregation and I know that Jesus is smiling here. I know that he is so happy from a week-to-week -week basis, looking at this beautiful body of believers and looking at the potential of what could be if we truly continue in the good and hard work of racial reconciliation. Good morning, church. Um, I grew up the majority of my life um, wrestling with being biracial. My father's Puerto Rican, my mom is of German descent, and there was always um, animosity between my mom and my father, believe it or not. My first experience with racism was within the walls of my home. And so that was a struggle for me. And um, the church that I was born in and my mom raised us in, we were the token Hispanic family. Um, but I didn't feel that way because I didn't, I wasn't a Hispanic enough, wasn't Puerto Rican enough because my mom was white, and I wasn't white enough because my dad was Puerto Rican. So where did I fit in? I didn't. Um, we moved from that, from my grandparents' church to another church where we were yet again the token Hispanic family, simply because our last name was Hernandez. And, um, I can't do anything without crying. <laughs> I just did this because she always yells at me for not having a That's right. Yeah. Um, we were still the Hispanic, the token Hispanic family in that congregation. We loved it. They loved us. But we, I still didn't find my niche. Um, I was moved from a private Christian school where we were actually very diverse. But then my parents moved to a community where um, the majority of the community was uh, Jewish. And so the middle school and the high school that I went to was predominantly um, Jew of Jewish descent and Caucasian. And there were a few of us that um, got together that were Hispanic, but not too many. Then I decided I needed to go to college, and I chose Messiah. <laughs> um, once again, um, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in with the Hispanic students because I wasn't Hispanic enough. Um, and I didn't fit in with 
um, the white students because I wasn't white enough. And I was rebelling against that white part of me, that German part of me, because I just went to high school and middle school with a lot of Jewish people that um, talked a lot about the Holocaust. And so I went through a tremendous identity crisis of who was I and couldn't see myself in Christ. Um, I joined Fiamma Kai at Messiah, and um, I joined the gospel choir, and I needed to find out where I fit in. And I loved those individuals. Even though we were a small um, community, we were still a mighty um, voice within Messiah, and we tried to do and say as much as possible to bring um, recognition that we are who we are no matter what our skin color is. Um, God brought me here to Harrisburg, and I found another Presbyterian church where we were the token Hispanic family, um, and just uh, raised my children in that environment, but I didn't know what to do. My children are also biracial, and we just didn't fit in. And then God opened the doors to bring me here. And when I talk about HBIC, I tell everybody this this to me is what heaven looks like this to me looks what i imagine heaven to be like now not in the future not when jesus comes again but right now i don't need to know where i fit in with the hispanics in this community um, or the white people in this community i'm just jennifer and this is the first time that i've ever felt that i'm just jennifer i'm not jennifer the Hispanic, and I'm not Jennifer, the white person. I'm just me, and I needed my children to feel that sense. Um, I'm very proud of my Puerto Rican heritage. If you know me, you know that about me. <laughs> um, and I draw that because um, that's how, that's who God made me. No matter what I have. Um, grown up in, um, and I still struggle sometimes with um, with why God created me the way that he created me, but through my interactions, um, especially here in Harrisburg, I was always the bilingual, bicultural, whatever, fill in the blank. I was a social worker. I've been doing social work for 21 years, and I have always been the one. So always the therapist that spoke Spanish and, and was Puerto Rican, and I was always the one to go to to translate. Um, and I was starting to um, not resent that, but get tired in my spirit and was wondering, um, why am I the one? And um, came to realize I'm the one because God made me the one. Um, God brought people to me um, to plant seeds, to till grounds, to just speak to. And um, did it in the language that he gave me and in the culture that he gave me. And very proud of that. And I love being at HBIC because I love being able to see heaven every day. Um, and every time that I come here and interact with anybody that's from HBIC, I get that little bit of taste of heaven every day. Thank you.
Good morning, church. Um, I um, grew up in the South, in Mississippi, in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, early 60s and everything. And we went to school down there, but we had to go to uh, a school that was 16 miles away, and it was w one that was just right down the block. Um, I won't say much about that, but I do remember one down there, there was a little girl named Betty, and she wanted to play with us. And her dad said, no, you can't play with them because I had a big family. We was playing and stuff like that. But I do remember that. Down there, we didn't realize how racial divided it was because I think our dad and our mom kept us from that. And uh, we moved here in the early 60s and everything. And seemed like up here a lot of times on our jobs and everything, we uh, had more racial division up here than what we did down there. But I thank God, the, I thank God, I'm gonna jump around here, so excuse me. But uh, I thank God for bringing me here uh, to HBEC. Because here, when I walked in, you could feel so much love. The people here is so friendly and everything. Yeah, and, 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 and They're so friendly and, you know, uh, and I love it here. I love, I love singing. Being visually impaired, I love singing. And I love the music. I love everything just flow. Everything is Christ-centered. And that's what I love. Because, you know, Jesus is the one that we are to be uh, growing like each day. So I thank God for sending me here. I thank God for the peoples that I meet, and I thank God that I'm growing here. I thank God for everything that he's doing for me. And you know, here it's like the buffet that you probably have this afternoon. <laughs> it's like everybody's gonna bring something different, and this is the way it is in heaven. But the thing about it, the thing about it, is we're all one spirit. We're all one spirit. And we, another thing, we all breathe the same air. <laughs> we all breathe the same air. So we have to humble ourselves and allow God to build us up in the Holy Spirit so that we won't see, so that we won't see what someone else has taught us of what someone has, we feel in our minds, but what we feel in our spirit. It's the only way we're gonna draw close to each other is living through the Holy Spirit. We got to humble ourselves and not look at people because of the color of their skin or because of something that we have heard about them all because something someone told us about them. But when I come here to HBEC, I found that there was so much love. I can't see very well, but I can feel the love. So I just thank you. Um, I didn't say it uh, when I was up there, but this is just your time now. I um, want to invite you to come up and share. I know for some of us, we're pretty extroverter, we like talking a lot, um, but if it's quiet, that's okay too. 
Um, I want you to sit in that quietness and maybe even use it as a time to reflect and just give God thanks through prayer. But if you want to come up, please come up. Can you actually bring the mic up here? Uh, The people need to see you, you know? All right. So thank you, guys. And whenever you're ready, just come up. Um, I just want to share that 31 years ago, um, we came from Guyana to America. Um, We came to New York. In our country, in Guyana, we didn't have prejudices like you have here. We live in a little village where most of us was Indian descent and black. Everybody got along. And um, I learned what prejudice was or is when I came to America. In our family, if you know our family, our family have every single race almost that you could think of interracially marriage. We have Russian and um, Polish and Irish and Dominican and all kinds. Um, in our family. But um, I want to share this. When I came to um, New York, we went, I went to a sister church here, Brethren in Christ, um, F- Fellowship Chapel in Harrisburg. And um, the church had, most of you might know, um, Miriam Rodriguez. Her father was the pastor there. He was a, this white guy, and he had a soft voice. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness. I just came from this church in Guyana, and we were on fire. And um, he was, uh, The church was very quiet. But the love of God was so real in that church. And then we met Sister Mary Lou and Sister Anna, and um, they just love upon us. We had a lot of different kinds of people in, in, Harrisburg, in Fellowship Chapel in New York. But I want to share this. Um, like I said, I didn't learn what, what racism and prejudice was until I came to America. And Sister Mary Lou and Sister Anna in our church, we used, they used to bring a group of us women to Pennsylvania to retreat all, every year. And then they bought a house in Pennsylvania. And um, they would bring us up, a group of women. And Sister Mary Lou and Sister Anna would get out of their beds, like the sisters share. We had a sister from um, Mississippi, black American. And we had some from Guyana. We had Spanish. And I see Sister Mary Lou and Sister Anna would get out of their bed, give Sister Willa, who is a black American from Mississippi, give Sister Iris, um, Sister Anna gave her bed to Sister Iris, who's a Guyanese woman. And then there was a Spanish lady, Anna Martinez, gave the another room a bed. And they slept with some of us, because there was a lot of us. We slept all over in their house in, uh, in chairs. Two white women got out of their beds and gave it to black women. That was something I could never forget as long as I live. I just want to share that. And then 19 years ago, we moved from New York. I followed Sister Mary and Sister Anna from New York. Me and my family moved down here 19 years ago, and we started to go to the small church here in um, Chestnut Street. And um, there weren't a lot of white people, black people, color, sorry, color people there. But then me and Teresa was one that accepted, was accepted in um, in the church. We had to give a testimony while we came there. And Teresa, she just blessed my heart with a testimony that she gave. And so I just want to thank God. I, I, I was a little afraid at first because I, I love to pray, and all my prayer friends are white. And, um, but I, I felt accepted, and I thank God that I'm here. And I thank God for the church. Look at the colorful church we have now. When I first came here, we maybe had like five people, right, Pastor Tessa? <laughs> so I just want to share that. I thank God so much how our church becomes so diverse. I didn't plan on sharing anything when I 
came to church today, but you know how you get that nervousness, nervous belly and my hands are sweaty and stuff, so I feel like I was supposed to share something. So back in the 90s, you know, before there was internet, um, <laughs> I read a book called More Than Equals um, that sort of changed how I thought about race. Um, and then I moved to Philadelphia and I met uh, Chris Rice and Spencer Perkins um, and you know, they met with a small group of us from Circle of Hope who were starting a church, and it was just this really exciting thing. And so when I came to Harrisburg Bick in uh, 2000, um, Pastor Sedra had just started, um, and Pastor Lou Astudo had invited me to be part of the Peace and Social Concerns Commission. And so I did that, and one of the things I suggest is we should read this book more than equals. Um, and so... I, I'm curious just how many people have have been a part of a more than equals group since they've been to church here. It changed my life, and I know it's changed the life of our church. And I'm just so thrilled that, like, where that little tiny suggestion to Louis Studo has gone in terms of changing um, the shape of our church. And it's something that I continue to... Um, you know, that I don't feel like I've arrived, <laughs> you know, there is still so much that I have to learn and grow about, and, um, and I think that we as a church are realizing that there is still so much in terms of race that we need to be doing as, um, as a part of this community, um, as a part of this nation, um, and this world, like how we can really make a difference. So from that time when, you know, Pastor Woody and I led a group in our in my upstairs, and Pastor Cedra and Patrick Cicero led that group in um, on my first floor of my house, we have come a long way, you know, to having a head pastor um, of African American descent, um, and uh, and Pastor Cedra and Pastor Carmen. Um, it's just been an exciting ride, and I'm so glad to still be here and still be growing in this way. So, thanks. Hello, everybody. My name is Damaris Velas. Um, I came in here in 2006. I arrived on uh, a Saturday, and my sister picked me up in the, in the airport, and we are coming in here to live in with my baby, Alondra Cruz, in that moment. She have like seven years old. So the first thing that I did was come in here with her just right away. One day after I came here, I remember, and I have to say to you, I remember somebody that is not physically with us, but still without in, uh, in our praise and in our minds, that was Mr. Barr. Mr. Barr was a very good singer, and I remember him and his son when he said, Jesus, just call Jesus when you'll be afraid, when you feel need him, call Jesus. I never forgot that son about uh, that his son and was my one of my favorite one. So after that, I still come in often and meet with Sarah, Cedra, sorry. <laughs> and 
she make me feel so very comfortable here. She is one of the people that make me change and thinking a lot. I have to confess that for everybody. Uh, I'm so very, uh, a little bit nervous in here right now. It's the first time that I talk about a congregation. And let me tell you, this is a church that is not only a church. This is a church who in really you feel power of the God. You, you guys pray and pray and do a lot of miracles. I don't want to be rude, but I remember when uh, Sarah's daughter had the accident, oh, Jada. I was, I passed beside and I said, oh my God, look that car, how is it? Oh my God, take, take care about the people who crash. I didn't know that he said there as a daughter. When I already hear that the next day, I was impressed and I cried. Uh, but I see the faith that this church prayed to him, to her. The, the, the way that the church prayed by Cedra's family, by their struggle of the cancer, by the struggle of the Pastor Linda cancer, by the struggle of myself cancer. And many, many of those are miracles. Are miracles because God is here. The power that God is here every time. I was the first time when I come in here was Mr. Pastor Woody here, and I says, wow. He always says something that touched my heart, my soul. And now, Pastor Hank, and I says, you always have to say something to direct to me. <laughs> so I've been here for 14 years already, and I see when the babies, and most of you, some of the, I didn't know your name, Lady <laughs> behind that she's singing like angel too. But I remember when you are pregnant for your first belly. <laughs> you know, the time passing, I remember the, the three girls that haven't uh, heard too. I am so very crazy. I don't retain too much the names. And sometimes I be like the, like the sea, like the wave. Go and going, come and going, come and going, but then really, when I everybody asks me where are you going, I have to say I'm going to uh, Harrisburg Brotherton in Christ. You know why? Because we are not a church; we are a family, a family that cares one from others. The the church that prays and prays with power. The praise make miracles, and you are angels here. She mentioned the babies, and that's what I wanted to talk about is the babies. The children who, when you go to a church that everybody looks like you, your children are being imprinted without you realizing it. The thing that's most important in your life 
everybody looks like you, and even if it's subconscious. But here, the babies are... Yeah, you get it. <laughs> I, uh, in two weeks, uh, I'm going to officiate the marriage of my son and Rosario, who is this beautiful Colombian caramel-colored woman. For years, Pastor Cedra has prophesied to me <laughs> that I was going to have brown grandbabies, <laughs> and she is not a false prophet. <laughs> and so I am, I am looking forward to this. I um, and part of the reason for this is, you know, I, I've thought about going through the generations. My parents were very racist. And now, uh, and then my kids grew up in this church. And as Pastor Cedra told me, you know, uh, uh, Zach doesn't like milk. He likes hot chocolate. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she was right again. And so... Uh, but she's beautiful, and she loves the Lord. And um, uh, in fact, I, I, I told her the other day when we were Skyping, I said, I said, uh, Rosario, you can do so much better than Zach. And uh, uh, oh, Zach loved it. Anyway, uh, I just, when I think of where my parents were to where my sons and grandchildren will be it is a demonstration of the power of God and uh, in, in, in no small way this church played a real role in that and I praise God for you and for Pastor Cedra who uh, uh, is right all the time so anyway <laughs> I'm just, just thinking about just how I'm just thinking about how some of it in the uh, music reflects what the relationships between people of color and, and whites. I mean, back in the day, all those spiritual songs that we all sing, the old Go Tell It on the Mountain was actually them trying to run away from the masters and was using it as a map. Then, then sadly, then later on, you can, you can get into Strange Fruit, which is actually a very, very dark song, but it's all about hanging. And, and of course... Nowadays, we could then nowadays it's all the joyous rap and, and the, all the rock and roll stuff. So it's kind of interesting to think back that. And and even then, I was looking at this church as a whole. I was thinking of something outside that. I was thinking of the fact that it was um, that this place, no offense, has had more interracial relationships than any of them that I've ever met. And I think about just when he was saying how far we've come. I just think of the, the fact that there was a time when before the loving that. You'd get arrested just because you just you chose to to marry somebody that was not your color. I'm dating a girl in Uganda. She's a person of color, so therefore, believe me, I'm thinking about that a little bit more than I can. And you know, I pray hard for that. But it's kind of interesting to be in that position because I've never thought it would actually be that way. Good morning. Um, the multicultural nature of this church has really opened my eyes and I think of my family to uh, beauty, 
to the kingdom of God and nothing else uh, has really helped me to see the works of God displayed both in the whole church and in terms of a personal journey I had um, with Roger and many other people that got to experience those miracles. So I won't go into all the details now because it's one of those long stories. <laughs> but um, it's been a huge blessing, a huge blessing. As most of you know, I'm probably the, the most grateful person in a congregation for my church. Um, I'm always saying, how do people go to other churches? And then I realize that doesn't sound real good. <laughs> But anyway, I am just so thankful for the monocultural um, aspect of our church, the diversity, how we love each other, how we love our community, how we love the strangers and the immigrants, and how we send global workers to the whole uh, world to tell about Jesus where his name hasn't even been mentioned one time. Um, and I just, I think, um, I I'm so happy too with the um, English as a second language that we're reaching out. Uh, and actually five of my friends just walked in the door from uh, ESL that haven't been here before. So I'm thankful for that too. Hi, I'm Robert Reyes. And um, I just wanted to provide some general information. I think. The, I think the story of this church is a story where we're trying to create a new, a new narrative, a new story. Um, for those of you who are coming here, you may come from different places. You may be coming here because um, something is leading you here. You can feel it in your heart, but you don't fully understand what's going on. You just know that you should be here, that there's a longing for something different. You turn on the TV, you see the news on the media, and you realize there has to be a better way. Um, and then you come to a place like this that is actively trying to um, speak to a new possibility, a possibility where we're all together worshiping and giving witness to the testimony and the story that is found in Revelation where all people of all tongues will be worshiping God before the throne. But in that process, there's a sense of unsettledness. And I wanted to speak to that in a moment. Um, just basically what is going on is this sense that what we're trying to create is something new. I think as human beings, we are really drawn to familiarity. That is very common and that's very human. We grew up in environments that unfortunately, because of our story, we are separated from one another. All we know is that which is familiar to us. That's very human. That's very natural. That's very common. But what we're trying to create something is a new place. It's a new reality, a place where it's not fully where I came from, but we're creating something new. And by definition, that will be uncomfortable sometimes. It will be unsettling as I try to create new songs, new ways of worship, new ways of praying, new ways of engaging, new ways of communicating. But the promise, the possibility, is that we're gonna create something where we're really gonna be, um, again, more authentic, being gifted by the gifts that all of us bring to the table that God has given. A more clear, a more fuller picture of what God created us to be in his image. So I wanna encourage you 
as you're coming here to continue this process. This is a journey. We're not fully there yet, um, but um, the love is here, and the desire is here, and the possibility of supporting each other is here. So be encouraged. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Christian, and I'd like to reflect a little bit of what Amy said, just growing up very monoculture and just not even realizing it, right? And coming to this church has really opened my eyes and given me a lot of awareness to how diversity of thought and how all the different cultures out there really create uh, beauty and harmony, and um, this church has just really given me that awareness. And just a quick reflection, I got to go on a missions trip to Columbia a couple of years ago, and um, there was a, a, a point in time where I had to walk through the mall, and the malls there aren't like the malls here, they're actually filled with people. And <clears throat> as I was walking around, I stood a foot taller than everybody, had long hair and a beard, no one else did, and I was the only person walking around that had white skin, and everybody was staring at me. And it gave me this awareness that, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to have people look at you because of the skin you're in. I never experienced that before. And if I would have done that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of it. And I just really reflect on how my awareness has changed because of being part of this church. And I really feel like that awareness has given me the ability to live in love like Jesus would have me live in love. I'm Don Brotherton. Um, I'm very, thank you for Robert. I don't know where you went, but anyway, thank you for what you said because I was trying to figure out how to express this and that gave me a little bit of a basis. Um, this church means a lot of different things to me and I'm really thankful for being here. Our family's been here, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. But um, a number of years ago when our daughter Meg was half her size, some of you might remember that. Um, <laughs> I remember going somewhere, and I don't even rem remember if it was another church we visited or if we were at a, a conference or somewhere. We were somewhere, and we were sitting in a crowd of people, and she looked and said to me, Mom, how come everyone in this room is peachy-skinned? And like, that, is, that is what this church means to me, that because my kids are coming here every week and because you all come here every week, when she went to a place that was very monoculture she thought she didn't know what but something didn't feel right and that's that's what this church means to me that someday not because of just what pastor hank and sunday school teachers and everyone teaches us i mean i'm, I'm hoping that someday they can articulate these things but just they feel it they know it's different because something is amiss that all the people in the room look the same. And I hope that, that all of our kids come to internalize that on some level and know that when they go somewhere besides here, if everyone looks like them, something is wrong and they need to do something about it. So thank you for just showing up here every Sunday. I'm Wanda Heisey, and I'm privileged to be part of the ESL, English as a Second Language program. A couple things have happened there to me um, that are symbolic. 
of our church. And one is that one week, a couple of students who don't speak the same language, they have no language in common except English. And it, they were just learning rudimentary English and they attempted to communicate with each other. They worked at it and they did it and they are closer together because of it. And sometimes I feel like that's what we need to do here at this church. We just need to attempt and try to communicate with each other and, and we can do that because we're in this body. The other thing was that one week another student said, you know, we like to come here because you care about us. And even though we only meet once a week and they often wish that we had more classes than that, they can tell that there's something happening here. And I feel like this body, we feel that as well. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw the movie Just Mercy, and it was really powerful and also very heartbreaking um, for me to see the oppression that people have gone through, the systems of oppression in this country that have been formulated to just hurt people of color. And then a few weeks later, I saw the movie Harriet, um, which was equally powerful and heartbreaking. And then this past week, I went to see Anthony Ray Hinton speak at Messiah College about his experience on death row as a wrongly convicted African-American man in the South. And I was reminded of um, a few years ago, there was a book came out that was called Plantation Jesus, and it was about how so much of the theology of the church in the South had to be formulated around reinforcing white supremacy. And so it had to be warped in a way that, that um, affirmed slavery and dehumanized you know, African, African people and lifted up white people. And you can see that in the movie Harriet in terms of some of the scenes where they, they're preaching and they, the, the pastor has to preach in a certain way to reinforce these kind of, just what seemed to us in this day and age ridiculous kind of theological points. Um, but my, my point is when I went to see Anthony Ray Hinton, it was just at Messiah College, the, the auditorium was just filled with people from this church who care about these issues. And that just warmed my heart that we're a body that wants to confront those things and think about those things. And in the midst of all of that, keep the gospel central um, and not just talk, talk about social issues, but talk about the love of Jesus and calling us back to the gospel that, that, um, that Jesus laid out for us. I'm Mary Lou Roog, and I moved uh, to this area about 20 years ago, 21 years ago, and became a part of this church back then, having moved from the Bronx, uh, where I lived, <laughs> where I lived for about 30 years, and was a part of a multicultural church all of those years. Uh, when I left. I was the only white person in the congregation. And when I came here, it was almost an all-white congregation. And many of you have heard me say this before, I didn't want to come here because it was an all-white church. Um, so um, 
I thank the Lord for uh, Pat Morton, who was one of my first African-American friends in our church here. And uh, I thank the Lord for each of you, and it's great to look out over the congregation and see so many different nationalities and colors. And uh, I thank the Lord for you. I love you all. So for me, my thing was a little bit different. I wasn't looking for a diverse church. Um, and I can tell you my story later, but for me it was a relief that I didn't have to be the diversity. <laughs> Wherever I was, either I was in, no matter how you put it, either me or my children were the only Puerto Ricans in a white community or we were the only Puerto Ricans in a black community. And it was, it was kind of hard for me to be like, oh, come on, this is enough. Like, and I feel like when I come here, well, when I started coming here, it was a relief that I didn't have to be the diverse piece. And it also allowed me to be my authentic self. It allowed me to be me, it allowed me to worship out loud, it allowed me to clap loud, it allowed me to scream and worship, say amen, and just be who I am. Because I didn't have to hold who I am in because now I have to be the resident role model of what a Puerto Rican is. Thank you. Hi, uh, I don't sound it, but I'm from, uh, I'm from England and um, I'll, I'll explain later. Uh, so we, we don't have racism over there. So um, when I first came here, we picked this church in part because of my wife's association with Messiah College. And um, I, we met Hank actually at a perspectives meeting. Um, and I'll explain that later too. But coming here, like, we went into racial reconciliation, and again, I kind of went into it with that ridiculous idea that racism was kind of an American thing. <laughs> and um, I was radically challenged every step of the way, but here's the, like, the key takeaway. This is the thing that really, like, got me, is that um, racial reconciliation is, is constant effort. Uh, it's not really like, like you know, it's you, you kind of think like eventually you'll find your racism switch and flip it and you're good. Um, but that's, that's not really how it works. Um, I am continually uh, searching my soul, especially as we've like lived in Harrisburg and have encountered so many different people. There are times where I constantly have to stop and examine my motivations and my thoughts. I, I learned that uh, the, the greatest privilege is ignorance. Uh, it, is, it is the ability to never have to think about it. This church has made me think about it. And uh, that has been really precious and honestly really painful and really continual. So um, I would urge everybody uh, to always, when you read parables that Jesus uh, speaks, don't think you're the good guy in the parable, assume you're the bad one. And that's kind of how racial reconciliation works. Assume you're the bad guy and that you have things to work on and I think you will always do better. Um, but that would be my admonition. One of the towns I lived in in Northeast PA for about 10 years uh, was so white I don't know if black people showed up on the television sets in the town. <laughs> but as I'm thinking about, there was this one street that had a lot of churches on it. 
and uh, and this is an all you know European town, and the one church in their names, there was a church that had the name English. There was another church that had the name German. There was another church that had the name Welsh. There was another church that had the name Polish. That's me. That's not the church I went to, but that's me. Um, and then uh, there was another church all on one street, uh, Primitive, Primitive Methodist, which I, I asked, well, why are they called Primitive? And somebody said they don't use cutlery. Now, I don't know if that's true, but uh, that's somebody told me. <laughs> Just, but I thought, you know, like even in an all-white, uh, you know, homogeneous uh, town, there was such uh, separation, and, and I'm guessing that a lot of that came from maybe the turn of the century when a lot of the immigrants came. And um, I guess slowly but surely those churches are going sort of out of business or changing their, you know, taking the names out of the, the church. But, you know, when you consider that and then where we're at, you know, it, it's good to remember we have come a long way. So uh, glad to be here. I'm Sally Harrison. Can you hear me? Bend her towards me. Okay, like that? Okay. Hi, I'm Sally Harrison. Um, Scott and I grew up in a white community and in Ohio and uh, western Pennsylvania. Uh, when we were in our 50s, the Lord sent us to Africa for 20 years. Uh, we, we were active in several of the different countries in Africa. And um, we began to see there the beauty of the different uh, ethnic groups. Um, one year, when our, our daughter was living in Africa, one year the family met in um, England for Christmas. And when Hank mentioned today um, Revelation 5. That's my favorite chapter also. Um, but we went to church at All Saints in London. And I love your outfit. Um, and that Sunday, we sat there at all, uh, at all Saints. And we saw so many different ethnic groups. And what was so wonderful was most of them wore their, uh, um, their outfit or their, the women, the dresses that were their country dresses and the men the same way. Oh, it was the most beautiful picture. God really speaks to me a lot in pictures and that was one because we, we were standing there and singing and praising God and I said, Scott, this is Revelation 5. This is what it looks like. Everybody wearing what, who they are. And um, so when we've, it's been just a few years that we've been here at um, HBIC. Um, most of it's because we traveled so much to Africa. But we feel like we're back home to see um, all the different colors 
the different communities, being involved with uh, some of the immigration people that are here. And so um, uh, we're very grateful to be here. We're very grateful for Hank to be able to show us what, um, just what it is like for us to look like Revelation 5. Good morning, my name is George. Um, I uh, grew up and uh, spent all my uh, youth and uh, until I was 18 and in Hong Kong. And uh, I, actually my um, history is, my parents are from Indonesia and my granddad actually is from England. Um, and so, you know, I was all mixed up. And uh, in, in a good way, in a good way, right? <laughs> I still am mixed up. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I just growing up in Hong Kong, I. Um, you know, I experienced racism there more so. Um, just, you know, not being Chinese and not being, I went to a British high school and not being, you know, expatriate British and just the colonialism of it. And um, I really felt it, um, you know, it was deep and intrinsic. And I, you know, and when I got to come to America, I was like, wow, there's, you know, there are no cats in America, right? So there's no, there's no racism in America. We're all from all different cultures and countries, right? And, um, and, um, and I didn't really feel it as much when I, I came here. I really didn't. You know, I, I wanted to be part of an urban church, um, and I was glad to be part of this church as, as a youth pastor um, and was wor- able to work with kids from all school districts and all nationalities and all uh, races, and, and that was wonderful. Um, and then, you know, uh, I started attending racial reconciliation classes, and I didn't like it. Because um, my eyes were open, literally to black and white, I didn't really see it. I didn't. Necess- I mean, even though I'm from another country and I have a different skin color, I didn't feel it. I didn't get it, you know. And those classes helped me get it, and I didn't like it because now I saw everything literally in black and white, and I never really saw it that way before. Um, even though I've been here all those years, um, you know, since I'm only 20, it's just not been that long. But um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, I always appreciate the church for opening my eyes that way, um, and I'm, I'm glad I'm part of that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm thankful. I'm always yearning. You know, I, I still feel we've got a long way to go. Um, I still feel like we're not upside down yet. You know, the whole upside down, can, we're not upside down yet. And, um, and so I'm, I, I'm encouraged, and hopefully our journey will, will continue that. You know, I push for all, all inclusion in multiple areas, but with um, racism, I'm thankful for for this church, and I'm also yearning for more. Thank you. Um, Just coming to this church, on top of all the things we uh, can teach each other, coming from different backgrounds, um, I think about the beauty that comes out in our worship uh, through people sharing things based on their life experience and their backgrounds. For me, particularly as a musician, um, playing music from all different cultures has really uh, enriched my music and uh, worship sense. Uh, But the biggest thing, and it's not so much something I learned, but something I get from coming to a church like this, is hope. Uh, You see on the news and in society and all over the place, you know, there's division, division, division. But uh, you see that when God's working, God works here, and people are united by that. And if God can do it here, you know, he can do it anywhere. And that's beautiful.
My name is Sophia Fumi. I just want to say I'm very thankful for everybody here and for this church. This church has opened my eyes, I've opened my thoughts and everything. So I thank you all. As you can see, say, come as you are. <laughs> so I am here. Thank you.